Mark, welcome to well, a new podcast called Verity. Uh, apparently, we seek the truth, but as a relativist, I'm sure you don't believe in that. Oh, I'm not that kind of relativist. Oh, no. Like, I do believe that some things can be true. Are you a special, like, snowflake kind of relativist? Well, a specialized relativist, sort of like the relativist. Like, I'm a cultural relativist with respect to ethics. Okay, and in English? So, uh, oh, so that's, that's sort that's of... the thing with your you philosophers. You're a bit like the, the left. The left wing, like, yeah, this this jargon. Yeah, it's so people don't understand us. Yes. Because if they understand us, they can accuse us of being wrong. <laughs> And that's the thing I absolutely want to avoid. I'd rather have them say, mm, he's deep, rather than he's wrong. So much better. So if you had to explain in layman terms, what's a, a relativist in, in your sense? Oh, so like, so relativism like really just means that something's relative to another. So right. if like, are you sitting to the left or the right of me? The left. But what if you were standing over there? Then... Yeah, I'd be to if you were over there. I'd be to the right. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, so whether I'm to the left or the right of you is relative to where you are. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. And so I think that ethics is sort of relative to the culture or the community, and I believe that they're created by the community. That it's like a totally like invented social phenomena, like countries and laws. Yeah. Or whatever. So it's like an evolutionary, yeah, phenomena well, that happens. Not necessarily evolutionary. Uh, not no, necessarily. It's sort of social. Okay. Yeah. So you say so you don't have like strong views. Like, do you have preferences about how people should treat each other? Oh yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I, like I get cross at people. Right. If they they treat other people, especially if they treat me in a way that I, that I think is unsuitable. Right. Like, like 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 really like sometimes enraged and like like I have fantasies and stuff about like like punishing them and all that kind of thing. I'm not the kind of cool relativist who thinks. Uh, man, like everything is relative and it's like equally valid. And so like anything goes and you've got to respect the other cultures. Like, no, no, man, I'm not like that at all. Like I've got like my own like little code of morality and what's right and wrong and how people should act and what's a virtue and what's a vice and all that kind of thing. And I like apply it to other people. Oh, you do apply it to other people? Yeah. Oh, and it's relative to mine, right? To my, to like my own views. But you don't have like universal codes of conduct, so to speak. Well, there might be some that could be accidentally universal in the sense that like all cultures and all people believe it. But I don't think that's what makes it like the moral rule that it is. So like mm. you might have every culture that says like you know it's wrong uh, to take somebody's stuff to steal from them without their permission. Sure. But that doesn't mean that it's a, like objective. Uh, accidentally everyone does but what makes that thing wrong is the fact that people invented it like you know you get places that have countries that have got laws like there's no country that's where the law is it okay that's a bad example because there are all right but let's <laughs> say there, there's one where it's like oh no you can't drive your car more than uh 500 kilometers per hour sure you know um because you know that would be dangerous for whatever reason it is uh, and even though everyone, every country said that that's um, illegal, uh, that doesn't mean that there's like an objective thing that makes, oh, no, that's legal, you, uh, you know, around, around the world. And because they could just change it. They could say, oh, no, you could 600 is going to be the limit from now on in some place. And then that's what it would be. And I yeah. think ethics is kind of like that. You know, so the prohibition, the moral prohibition, like murder or theft or rape, or spitting on the sidewalk, or whatever, is just stuff that's uh, created by society. 
Yeah. And it's a, it's a little bit arbitrary, and that's fine. And different societies, different communities, different individuals have got like really different views of it. And they're all equally valid. And philosophers hate me for this, and average people hate me for this. And the reason that I believe this is because I used to be an ethical uh, skeptic. So I used to believe, like, oh, no, this is all nonsense, and ethics doesn't like, exist at all. This is just this weird fiction that we're going through. And then I realized that this other view... This relativist view is so much more irritating to people for me to hold. So do you just hold it to piss people off or because you actually believe it? Well, I do believe it. Like, are you the David no. Benatar of, of relativism? Because he holds this view of antinatalism. Oh, yeah. That's but a, I think he really believes it, uh, David he does. Benatar. But it's a very controversial view. And a lot of people hate him for holding such a view. So do you do it to piss off people or because you actually believe it? Or both? No. So I do believe it. Right. Uh, and the fact that it, it like annoys people is a benefit because it kind of excites me. Like I get a little annoyed. And so what that's kind of cool. Like, they don't hate me for it. So what about these like UN proclamations, like universal human rights? Everyone has the right to X, Y, and Z or to be X, Y, and Z. Do you think like those are incorrect? No, then none of them are incorrect. Uh, no, but, but it's universally applicable through the... UN through you know the legal frameworks of the UN, which is encompasses the globe, what well, is supposed to. Yeah. Um, so look, I mean, there could be another one, uh, another thing. So let's say they have this right that everybody's got a right to water, yeah, fresh drinking water, and then another body uh, comes up and says, "Oh no, people do not have the right." So you got, uh, and you universally they don't have the right to it. So who's got jurisdiction in this case? And I don't think either of them do. I mean, you know, they both apply according to the UN's rules, uh, view of uh, ethics and human rights. Then everyone does have this access, you know, right to access to water. And according to this other body's view, they don't. Uh, so does somebody have it or not? Yeah, I don't. You know, they do according to one or they do according to to another. I mean. Let's go to this like this easy non-controversial example of speed limits. So yeah. imagine um, you've got uh, so South Africa and Zimbabwe, and South Africa's got this rule that uh, on a suburban road you can't exceed the speed limit of sixty kilometers an hour, and Zimbabwe's got this view that on a suburban road you can't exceed the speed limit of fifty kilometers an hour, and then. <laughs> Let's ask the question. So, which can't you? Do, uh, so, what is the speed limit? Fifty-five. No. <laughs> okay. So, well, in each country, is that the speed well, limit? Well, you say. So, what's the speed limit? And you say, like, well, I mean, to answer that question, I'd have to know according to who, according to Zimbabwe, according to South sure. Africa. Now, let's imagine um, I was driving a car and I was driving at um, fifty-five, and you say, "Am I breaking the speed limit?" And you say, "Well, it depends where you're driving." in Zimbabwe or in South Africa. And then, let's imagine, because I'm just pumping new intuitions and doing whatever the hell I want with the thought experiment, one of the countries starts expanding its borders and it becomes a part where it's, there's a disputed border. And we're not sure whether the suburb we're in is in Zimbabwe, under their jurisdiction, or in South Africa. Yeah. Um, even then, like I think that um, we wouldn't be able to really answer the, the question wouldn't be able to be resolved by saying, oh, I'm in this territory or that territory. Sure. But it seems but you would have to say, like, according to this law or according to that law. 
And I think the universal stuff happens where everything becomes this bizarre, like, disputed territory. Like, the jurisdiction sure. doesn't last. Unless you've got the system that uh, sets for itself a jurisdiction. Yeah, okay, no, that makes sense. The speed limits are quite an easy example. But like, yes. if you go to more difficult ones, like, for example, if uh, there is a culture that does not give human rights to certain people based on biological differences. Say, like, you know, gays have no no human rights at all and shouldn't be protected under the law. Yeah. You would say you don't prefer it, but you sort of, it's their culture, they can yeah. do what they want. Like, there's no, for you, there's no obligation to individually take care of, uh, of everyone or have no. a minimum standard for, I don't know, behavior. Yeah, so let's say, so one of the things, let's say you just go to places where um, gays are persecuted. Uganda. Uganda. Now, I think that one of the approaches you can have is to try and understand it, um, and which could be kind of interesting. Well, what happens if it's just pure propaganda and it's the, the Southern Baptist churches in the U.S. that are funding this, I mean, this homophobia? Well, some of it's... it's pure pro- I, mean, it I believe is. that they're sincere about it. For some reason, they think gay people are this abomination that right. you know, needs to be uh, removed from the world or doesn't deserve rights. Okay. Yeah. So what are your views... Well, I don't hold those views. No, you don't hold those views, no. But uh, my view that... You think they should be able to hold those views without much problem? Oh, no. See, as I was saying, I'm not like one of these hippie, peace for all, let's accommodate everyone. There's definitely going to be conflict. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what would you... So you you prefer that gays wouldn't be prosecuted or persecuted? Oh, not just uh, preferred. I think like you know, gay people should have uh, you know the same rights as as non-gay people. Uh, And then there's this community over there, those uh, Baptists or Ugandans or whoever they are, um, who think that's the other way. And we're going to find the same gay person, and we're going to say that that person over there. I think no, no, they should be. They should have rights. They should be able to. Um, order wedding cakes or, or whatever and they'll say like oh no no they shouldn't and then we're going to come in conflict and I don't think there's a, I actually don't think there's a resolution for it like I don't think we right. can appeal because it's relative and there isn't an objective standard there's nothing you can appeal to to say oh no um, that the, my view should win out over that guy's view and then this guy this gay person here absolutely does have the right to buy a wedding cake yeah, that's interesting. I think I think a lot of people might find that unsatisfactory. It's like because for some reason there's always like something to solve, and and the argument goes that if there's more free speech in the world, we can have these battle of ideas, and the best idea will win. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't think there is a best idea in in these cases. I think one can win from free speech, and you can come to like a, a resolution between the two parties but not necessarily between the two ethical systems. So we can find, oh, okay, I thought about this, and there's another value that I hold more important um, than whether someone's gay or not or respect to rights or whatever the dispute is about that we both agree on. Yeah. And on you know, thinking about it, I can make a concession or we can resolve things in some way. So it doesn't mean like you know, conflicts can't be resolved. But, you know, there's going to be conflicts. and But I don't think those conflicts can come about through an appeal to either reason or some other higher objective morality. Uh, oh, I think right. they can come about through negotiation and people understanding each other and con- making concessions. So, so you're not a fan of Sam Harris's way of thinking? 
Well, I don't know if you follow Sam Harris in any meaningful way. What uh, his rationalism? Yeah, extremely oh, rational. Absolutely, yeah. When it comes to ethics, absolutely not. No, no. I, I think well, it's explain, like a, explain. a terrible thing. So you will get some ethical systems that are based uh, on rationality, and these are the ones that we often find in our in like our Western. Uh, modern intellectual world yeah. and, right it's driven by like lawyers and and philosophers and but that's because like the lawyers want everything to be uh, explicitly set out like laws and they will use reason to compare and decide this law subsumes that law and so on and philosophers also want everything to be uh, rational and so they apply that to morality and they think morality has to be rational right but you can also get um Moral systems that aren't based on morality like that. You can well, have yeah. one. Most of them are aren't based in rationality. Well, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think any of them really are. Oh. Um, you get ones that could be sort of like, oh no, like you've got this great authoritarian dictator, and he just declares what's right or wrong, and then these aren't just laws, but people respect him, right? They mm. like this is the the god emperor, right? And what he says is right and wrong. You know, he just commands it, and there we go. And so rationality, and the the laws and the rules that he puts forward, and his decrees can even like flip and contradict each other, yeah. and they would still hold. I, I just don't think that ethics is bound by reason at all, uh, for necessarily. You will get some systems where it is. It's like part of the ethical system is that it has to be con- uh, logically consistent, and laws can't contradict each other, and so on. And if there is, is there's a problem. But I don't see that that is necessary. Right. I think there was a, there's a bit of a, a cult around reason and rational, rationalism over the since the Enlightenment. Oh yeah, it was especially since the French Revolution, when the those who overthrew the king had a you know now is the time for reason, and then they just cut each other's heads off. Yeah, they all also the time. wanted to have like days of ten hours long and weeks of uh, they want to have a metric system for time and whatever it was kind of cool their commitment to it but it was like all like super super logical and super reasoned based on on rationality and reason but humans aren't any of those things at all no we're shaped by millennia of 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 quirks ideas evolutionary accidents um so i don't know why people try to apply this form of well, rationality on, on human beings. It's a bit strange. Well, it, I mean, reason is very useful. And it's got its yeah, place. sure. If you're doing, uh, you know, a lot of natural science, reason's great. Theoretical sciences, such as like computer science and mathematics. I mean, it's really useful. And in our everyday life, it's got its place. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to knock reason. I just don't think that everything can be approached uh, rationally. You know, it's not going to give you the answers to to everything and yeah so, um, so people aren't just stupid for believing in a god oh no i don't think people are stupid for believing in god right. i don't think that they are stupid i don't think that they are mad and i don't think that they are evil i mean i don't believe in a god right i, I don't believe in a god and i don't believe that a god exists which are kind of different things yeah that's yeah, yeah. i get that so, so so religious people for you is they find meaning in it. They should be free to to do whatever the rituals and the proclamations and the behaviors of their religion. And uh, as long as they don't harm you in particular. Well, yeah, but that's a fine. personal preference. Uh, look, I mean, some of the things they do believe, I think, are wrong. Like, like, just like incorrect and you have to be an idiot to believe them. Oh, uh, yes? 
Yeah. Like flat earth. Like, like Exactly, like flat earth. <laughs> it's, you know, there's so much evidence against it. It doesn't really make sense and so on. Except for the flat earthers, I think, are just trolling us. Like, I think it's a big troll. You decide, this is hilarious. I see these flat earthers on the internet and around, and they're annoying everybody, and they look, seem to be having a huge amount of fun. I want to become one of them. And then you, you come out to your family and your friends and announce that you're a flat earther, and you totally commit to it. Even though you Just don't really troll. believe it. Yeah, man. It's hilarious. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like 4chan. Yeah. Is, I mean, have you seen the amount of hoaxes they've created and that people have, have, have taken on as a, a means of protest? Like they had, uh, what, what was it? Oh, free bleeding. Where if women on their periods would... Oh, free not, flow. Yeah. They wouldn't like, I don't know, put a tampon in and... And they would protest free bleeding. And meanwhile, there's a 4chan hoax. Well, no one was free bleeding. Yeah. I mean, it happens by accident. No, yeah, sure. But you don't no, but this so is go a form out of there protest. to free bleed. And yeah. so, so the enemies of 4chan took it on as a form of protest, un- unwittingly, I suspect. But 4chan put out the idea just as a form of a Wait, so they trolling. were free bleeding? They were free bleeders? Yeah. After the after four chances, like deliberate free bleeders, yeah, free bleeders. yeah, in protests ah. in the streets and things like that, yeah. Well, they're like, I am a free bleeder, or I am free bleeding right now. No, you could like see it, literally. You mean, yeah, oh, no, it's that's, like that's, that's horrible. It is quite horrible. I mean, like, I, I'd like to say that it's like, oh, you know, it's it's beautiful and natural, but beautiful and natural applies to like, I don't cancer. know, butterflies and sunsets and cancer. No, no, cancer's not beautiful, not beautiful and natural. Beautiful. It's just natural. It's natural. Yeah. But naturalistic fallacy is very prevalent. Oh, you, you, mean, you mean you're talking about the view that if something is natural, it's supposedly good. natural, then it's good. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have that view. I mean, nature's really horrible. Weird. It hates us. You, I, I, look, I feel the same. <laughs> like, I actually, like, I detest nature. Like, I won't go hiking uh, I mean, not just like because I get tired and sweaty and whatever, but there's like, I mean, you go out into nature and there's like, like poop everywhere. Animals have got no respect for hikers. Yeah, it's, just, it's just horrible, man. And like everything out there is like trying to eat you and whatever. And then there are animals that look cute, right? So they've got like these big eyes and these like puffy cheeks and they're fluffy and whatever. That's a trick. I mean, they might be cute, but they're not nice. They're well, going to poop just like the rest of them in, like, that path that you wanted to walk on. Yeah, and if you touch them, they bite you, like squirrels. Yeah. I mean, squirrels, are, they're not kisses. They're biters. <laughs> but the naturalistic fa- – uh, but so that view of nature is, like, one that I can kind of understand. So I think they, like, revere nature Yeah. on, on the one hand, which is um, an okay attitude to have towards it. I don't think it can be – um, justified or condemned it's just sort of an attitude one has towards it um, and then maybe they do go a little f- too far in saying like, oh, just because this is natural it's good yeah uh, I think I think it's, it's far better when humans actively change nature to suit our needs yeah I think it's far better for the animals and us uh, look man uh, personally I like to have that distance like another reason I won't go like camping is like I see camping as like a, just a giant fuck you to human civilization. You know, <laughs> people have died, people have like struggled. Uh, there's been like a lot of ingenuity and like sweat and like uh, people struggling over theses for for years to get degrees and whatever just to bring you like indoor plumbing and like the luxuries. Yeah. 
Yeah, of, of modern electricity living. and yeah. all the rest. Yeah. I appreciate it for goodness sake. And what you do, you fucking you go to some godforsaken field in a canvas tent. It is a crime against humanity. Yeah, against civilization. It's ungrateful. That's what it is. <laughs> I agree with you. And then you have to use common evolution blocks too, which is unless free flow. <laughs> we can make an exception for them. Why can't they just free bleed? In a camping site, that'd be great. Well, what, are, are you suggesting that you take the free bleeders yeah. during their time of free bleeding, right, and separate them from the main community and put By them, force. yeah, and put them in a small hut on right. the periphery, yeah, for them to go through their natural process in in their natural in the natural environment which they revere so much. I think that'd be great. That's one way to cure them of the mental illness. Well, you don't cure. You don't have to cure. Oh, the mental illness. I thought of the free bleeding. You just like wait a few days and. I know, but but do you think that this is for them to think that this is like great? Yeah. Just actually like go out there and do it. It's not that great. Yeah, that's why people flock to cities. And, and you know what? To teach them a lesson: no wet wipes. <laughs> there. Wait till you have children. There's an insurmountable yeah. amount of wet wipes all over the place. So how do you feel about uh, Benatar's antenatalism, given that you have a child now? He's wrong, but I can't disprove it. <laughs> so I listened to that interview that you and Jonathan Witt did on your other podcast, yes. uh, The Renegade Report, with uh, Benatar and Jordan Peterson. Right. And I think Jordan Peterson didn't quite tackle him philosophically correctly but i i think what was interesting about peterson is that his approach was very much like what you just said and that was that this thing is so horrific this view of antinatalism that it would be better for for us never to have been born and that going forward we should do whatever we can not to create more people in the world yeah that that view is so horrific uh, that it must be rejected. Not he wasn't saying it wasn't true, which is, was Benetton's view. Right. Benetton's view was that, oh no, it's just a true, uh, objective fact that the world is a horrible place uh, for people to come into and to live your existence as a human, and so and so also a fact you ought to not create more babies. Yeah, I think it's a very coherent view, and it's true. Now I think Peterson's view was that that view. Uh, he wasn't too interested in whether it's true or not. His view was that it's so abhorrent. Uh, it, it like undermines the things that we consider important and sacred or whatever, that it should be rejected on those grounds. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should reject it. I, I'm just a, a contingent antinatalist. As long as I decide who comes into this world, I'm happy. I think most people shouldn't have been born anyway. Because well, Many of the people would agree. They're like, oh, I wish I hadn't been born. No, but even... Yeah, okay, in the individual people, but also I think a lot of children are born into circumstances that are not, of course, they're not their own doing. Oh, they'll but, adjust. <laughs> but I think unprocessed childhood trauma is like a massive problem, especially in this country and other countries around the world. That leads to all sorts of, of ill effects later on. I mean, I think crime is a prime example. So what, I, what I often think is that what if, like, so I kind of I agree with Benetton and that many of us don't have like completely happy lives and on the on the the balance of it our lives are kind of like miserable and uh, and wretched unhappy filled with pain and whatever and also that we often don't notice how miserable our lives are and so on 
and you know there's a lot of struggle and our preferences often aren't satisfied and so on but what if that's okay you know well that's well that's what peterson said he says well that struggle is is what you you have to overcome to have a meaningful life Hmm. but i mean this is totally separate argument to the antinatalist one don't you think because Benatar would agree once you are born try to find as much meaning and happiness yeah as you possibly can but if you are not born or if you're planning to have children just think of the suffering that will accrue mm. to the new spawn so they're two separate arguments so I just so if you want to have a child listen to Benatar if you have one listen to Peterson I think so, that's fair I think another thing that uh, and I'm just inferring this that Peterson has got a view that there's a kind of sacredness to life as we were talking about revering nature or yeah. whatever. Well, he's a Catholic. Yeah. Admittedly so. And so that what you're doing is you're bringing to the world something that like matters and is sacred and, and worth the reverence. Whether it's a miserable or a happy life is irrelevant. Yeah. It's just sort of like a... I think that's sort of... Okay, it's, it's not a new phenomenon, but it no. is, uh, with the human rights laws over the past 60, 70 years, before that, people were... Unless you were religious, people were quite disposable, I would think. Like they, like they were clearly delineated marks of this is the enemy, this isn't. We, the real humans, they're just ways so you can kill them. I don't know. I kind of think that we still think like that. We so. still think like that. We don't act upon it as much. Yeah. One would think. I mean, I don't see Afrikaners and English people like smack each other over the head to see, you know, because one thinks they're the real humans and the other ones aren't. We still think like that, but we do it online on like 4chan and YouTube comments. Isn't that amazing? Like, like how we become so different when we enter into these uh, different spaces online. So one of the things that I find very interesting is 4chan. Because people on 4chan, uh, they seem like these incredibly racist, uh, misogynist, uh, horrible human beings. Yeah, some of them. You know, A lot of them are very funny. Yeah. They're like, they are. Uh, but like they get on there and like normally in, when they're in real life, they wouldn't use the kind of words that they use on, on 4chan. Like on 4chan, they use the N word and they use the F word and they use the, the K word and they use the G word what and the word, the L word and the E word. And the, they use a lot of words <laughs> on 4chan yes. that you wouldn't normally use in everyday life. But what happens is I think we're in the, when they're on there, they're in kind of like a, a very different space to what uh, you're normally doing in your everyday life. You oh, yeah. know, when you're with somebody in the office or at school with your family. And just the, the mode of communicating is different. So, you know, you can be like a little bit rougher and use other words. And you're being ironic a lot of the time. Almost all of the time. Sure. Unfortunately, and everyone's. Yeah. It's kind of a space for well, irony. Anonymity does that to you. If the repercussions are rare. People will take the chance to be uh, yeah. a lot more vulgar. Mm. And then those who are a lot more vulgar in public, we call you know, stand-up comedians. There we go. And, and that's it. You know, you go to a comedy show, and like the rules are different over there. Mm. You kind of understand this in space. These things can be said that wouldn't be... Well, most of us up. do. Yeah. Some people are like, you made a rape joke, therefore you like rape. Like, no, no. Not, 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 not quite. But, um, I mean, even myself, I'm not anonymous on, on Twitter, but I do, I'm a little bit more forceful than in reality. Yeah, you're wittier and more sarcastic and, and so on. On Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I try to be. 
And, and believe me, when these microphones are off, you and I also interacting quite different. Like, like we are like filthy, like are we disgusting, Sp- mean spirited? Speak for yourself. It's actually, not that. No, bad. Not, no not really. Speak for yourself. I and, like to think that. And I mean, are you on? For, I'm never on Four Chan. Are you on Four Chan? Um, no, not really. What I do is there's a cool subreddit on Reddit that collects so, sort of like the funniest stuff on 4chan and occasionally I check that out okay yeah. that's what you do till 3 o'clock in the morning because I actually want to discuss philosophers and waking up early like there's a no we don't do that you don't at all no like why is that well it's because you spend all, all night like wrestling with existential anxiety yeah, and problems no no really we do now everyone does that to some degree but philosophers are really good at it. We've got all like the intellectual tools to really like go deep and suffer as we're thinking about the horror that is our lives. Aren't you just playing like PlayStation games or so, computer games? Yeah, sometimes as well. <laughs> philosophers don't think deeply every single day. No, they don't. Look, I think it's just the um, the philosophers that you know uh, are we I tend suspect. to be late late risers. So I've got this uh, completely unfounded theory that I created to try and like justify my my waking and sleeping habits. Yeah, it's one of those cool justifications where you make yourself feel special. Hmm. So I told myself, and I tell other people too, and I'm starting to believe it because I repeat it over and over again. It's got no basis. Is that you have people who rise early and people who stay up late and you know rise late and and those are like the night sentinel sentinels like back when we used to live on the savannah all of us or in the jungle or whatever we the communities needed people mm-hmm. who would stay up at night and stand watch to protect everyone from roving beasts and raiders from other tribes and that would be us. Right. We, w- we would be the night sentinels. Oh, so you're the yeah. heroes. They, they'd be the ones that would stay up at night, looking out, thinking. And then if, if we saw something, because I know that I myself am not a fighter, we'd like wake other people. You'd raise the alarm. Yeah, I'd raise the alarm. I mean, you know, I, I don't come from, a, from a people who are like, like fighters. No, we're like negotiators and hiders and scholars. <laughs> we, we plead for our lives. When when we get found, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's the theory. So, so that's it. Yeah. So we're we're one of the like the two percent. Okay. We spend up nights, thinking, guarding the village, and wrestling with existential terror of our own existence, <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> we're very special, supreme, actually. <laughs> okay, and people believe you. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone else, they wake up really early and. Um, they do the the, the, the mediocre, the, the routine work that you exactly. Have, they uh, pound the grain and so on. Right, and, and then we we like shut them and we like level. guys, please keep it down. <laughs> I protect you at night. You're thinking here. Yes, <laughs> don't make so much noise. Because I mean, a friend of ours, I know why he goes to sleep late because he's at a bloody bathhouse all night. Oh yes, so I don't know what what heavy heavy lifting. Yes, but I don't know about heavy thinking. And he's a philosopher as well, so... Yeah. You know, he has to take time for, you know... So, uh, I understand, like, the the less intellectual sides of life. He doesn't want to, you know, lose touch with it. I'm making excuses for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I suspect not. No, he will, he will come here anyway. I'll ask him directly. 
So as a, I mean, okay, we don't need to talk about philosophy, but anyways. Um, Do you want to talk about feelings? Uh, uh, I'm not very good at that. Aren't you? Uh, like, you, uh, I've you're got like, em- you're an empathetic guy. Yeah, empathetic maybe, but I don't like the name. I don't know the names for a lot of feelings. Like uh, I know, like sort of like like horny and like hungry and like kind of cross, lustful and sad. No, yeah, like that's like horny. Okay, that's a good one. There's probably a distinction. Yeah, I'm I'm just not that good with it. So if you look at someone, can you deduce what they might be feeling just by looking at them? That was the sound of me looking at Roman trying to discern what he was feeling. Just give you another moment. No, not a clue, man. No. No. Uh, well, I mean, I can, obviously. Well, I'm feeling a bit of anxiety because I don't know what to talk about. You know, I invited you here and we spoke about relativism, which is what I wanted to talk about. Oh, okay. And... and, and and now I'm a bit lost. So, uh, well, okay, we can get back to that. So, sure. uh, one of the one of the big reasons I believe in, in relativism is because I think it's the only way in which we can actually answer the question: what makes things moral? Like, where do ethics come from? What like what makes this right? Or what makes this uh, what makes courage a virtue? And killing somebody wrong, and all that kind of stuff. Now, the people who are objectivists about morality, they can't really give an answer to it. Right, they like sort of. Oh no! If you look at it in itself, it's just sort of like reasonable and rational. Or, yeah. or they might go a little step further and say, oh, you know, it's what everyone would agree to. You know, in a, in a so-called like, a hypothetical virtual contract, or it's pleasure or pain. And but then it will come to the point where I'd say, okay, well, what makes that pleasure, pleasure good and pain bad, or what makes, um, what everyone would agree to rationally, the standard or the thing that makes something moral not just how to know what's moral or not but what makes it moral and they can't really give an answer to that uh but i think that the relativist answer uh is one that works and it's not a great answer but it's a pretty good one and the answer is that what makes us moral or immoral whatever it is is that it's socially constructed and we're very familiar with socially constructed things. Sure. I'll give you examples of them. Uh, for instance, a marriage. Why is this person a husband or this person a wife? Why are they married? Because everyone believes it. We've created marriage. What makes this a nation state? Or that a border? Or what makes this person a president? Is we have decided that that's what they are. And yeah. well, or some people have decided and we just agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is a, pre- you know, Zuma is the president. And that is Iceland. And you are a husband. Mm. Yeah, these things are like kind of real. I mean, it's well, real, they're true. And they're socially created. And what makes this uh, a law that you have got uh, 60 days to notify a person about a payment or whatever it is, uh, it's true that you do have 60 days to do it. Otherwise, you've neglected a duty that's been legally there. And we'll agree that these things are true. And why are they true? Because they've been socially created. Mm-hmm. And... These things are relative, as I was talking about with the laws about speed limits. And I think morality is very much the same as that. Where What makes us moral or not is that it's been created. So there's no such thing as like natural law to you or like natural inalienable human rights. Like the Americans believe that stuff in their constitution, oh, right? Well, inalienable means – it doesn't mean objective. It just means oh, that yeah. – you know, but, but natural does sort of mean objective. Being. 
every person has natural rights accruing to them. Yeah, through, I don't, I don't know what. Often it's through God, which is a bit strange. Yeah, I think it's socially created. But that's also socially created. I yeah. mean, the whole American Constitution is based on the premise yeah. of and, natural and laws. And what's in the Constitution is like true. That that isn't it. You know, the Constitution grants people the rights. But it's only true. And gives them statuses. But if it changes, then it becomes untrue. Or not. Yes, it can change. It can absolutely change. So is truth objective to you? Only in that context? No, the, the truth is relative in that sense. So there is a fact about it. Remember, yeah. the first thing I said to you was about whether you're to the left of me or to the right of me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true, right? Depends where you're standing. Sure. Okay, with so, observer standing. So you have the right to housing. So it's true. And it's true now because the Constitution says so and we all agree that that is what we agree to. Yeah, and what's also kind of cool is that there's a little bit of social force where you can't just have a crazy person who's dissenting. They can't say, oh, this little metal disc doesn't count as money. I don't believe in money. This metal disc isn't five rand, right? Uh, that person is crazy, I think. You know, And they can't change the fact by just being like the sole dissenter. I can't say that, oh, I don't recognize this person as the president. He's not my president. I'm like, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, he is your president. Yeah, that's true. So that, so what about those people that, like the 10% of people that believe that Bitcoin is real money, but like rands aren't? Oh, okay. Sometimes I wonder about Bitcoin. If it is, yeah, I think it is a real, I mean, the question I'm wondering about whether it's sort of like in a, a thing you invest in, uh, like a commodity. Oh, for the moment. I think or it's whether it's a currency. It's a bit of both, it probably. It can be both. Yeah, if you I buy dollars when the rand's tanking, it's a currency and a, a store of value. Yeah. So Bitcoin is real money to those who believe it's real money. But to the rest of us who don't think it's real money, it doesn't matter. That's actually. a tough one. Um, because I think that if you think it's not real money, you might be wrong. I think like there's some people who think it's real money, and that's all that it takes. Because do you think there are like rules of what makes money? Like fungibility, divisibility, and value, or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. And if you and if an object has all those characteristics, it's inherently money. And people believe it's money. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one would consider like an old uh, Roman talent to be money. Yeah. Or uh, a anymore. I mean, it was at some point. You know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know, it can't really function as money now. Sure. But I'd say like it's money. Uh, I mean, you know, I can get a um, some kind of like foreign currency that I can't really buy things in the shops with at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'd say this is money. I mean, it's not working as money, uh, you know, where we are now. But that's okay. Okay. Um, and, and money is a nice example that uh, or it's a good analogy to ethics as well. Like, does this thing count as money? Is this uh, right or wrong? Kind of depends where you are and what community you trading in morality or currency. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. so Bitcoin is real money in certain circumstances if I buy something from a site that accepts Bitcoin. But it's not real money when I go to pick and pay and want to buy milk with Bitcoin. Yeah. They just don't accept it as money. It's not usable currency there. Yeah. yeah. So how do you function in the world where... Uh, do most people believe in objective ethics? I think they do. But like, it's sort of... They don't actually think deeply about it. It's just a, a sort of ingrained idea that, yeah, everyone should have human rights. And yeah, everyone should have, like the Americans love it. Everyone should have like a, a liberal democracy. Uh, not just that everybody should have human rights. Everyone does have human rights. 
and i don't think they're crazy for thinking that um because the thing is like my personal ethics and morality part of which is uh, come about from my own thinking, my own quirks, and a lot of it has just come from the culture in which I grew up, most of it probably, I kind of apply it universally. So you've, get, you've got... Um, so let's take the Jews, for instance. Oh, the Jews. One of so the one of the cool things in Judaism is they've got uh, sort of a relative uh, ethics where there's some laws that only apply, and obli- mostly obligations, that only apply to Jews, but to Gentiles it doesn't apply. Okay. You know, and then they think it's objectively so. And I forgot what point I was going to make. Oh. Oh. Uh, well, they got, they got so, ob- yeah. objective and subjective. But they will also think that they're, rules. yeah, uh, this is more about whether it's like universal or relative, not whether it's objective okay. or relative. And then they'll also believe that there are some rules that are universal to everyone. And that's fine, man. Like, I think that they're, so I think it's kind of wrong to steal. Mm-hmm. somebody's stuff and I think it applies universally like uh, even in societies where they've got a concept of property but they don't have a concept of ownership if you, if you know what I mean yeah. well the, the, they don't think that stealing is wrong right you know I, I can't think of one off my head well in socialist utopia where the commons you know owns everything oh yeah there's no such thing as theft right yeah um, but you th- still then I'd be like, no, that person's doing something wrong. That guy stole that from another person, and if they, th- if the two of them think it's okay, well, then they're mistaken. Well, yeah, and I, I think so you really ill it. of them. I think like these these are horrible thieves. So you would make that claim, though. Okay. I mean, it's just yeah. So I think that that's uh, applying but, university, but yeah, it's remember when I said there was no jurisdiction in the Zimbabwe South African thing? Sure. According to their ethics, what they did was permissible. According to mine, it's uh, prohibited. Yeah. Um, I don't think that mine is privileged. I think it's just mine. I don't think it's special. It's mine isn't the one that wins. Right. You know, right. because there isn't an objective uh, truth about whether what they did was right or wrong. Yeah. It was uh, just about whether you're to the left or the right of me. There are facts about it. There's truth, but it's relative to where you're standing, relative to my ethical system. Now what they did is uh, is wrong, relative to theirs or somebody else's. What they did was permissible. And then conflict ensues, and that's normal. Yeah, there can be conflict. Right. It's like people. It's like people who moan about women in in burkas, in the Middle East at least. Yeah, I don't so, like. Like I would prefer that they didn't wear that, to be honest. Especially like you know polyester in the middle of the desert. It's like it's not very comfortable by any means. But there's a hell of a lot of women in that area of the world that absolutely not adore it, but who insist on it for everyone else, for, for other women, for themselves and other women too. So who am I to say, no, you shouldn't actually do that, even though I have no you know, contextual basis for doing so, only because I believe that women shouldn't be put in polyester bags <laughs> in the middle oh, of the desert. But they really believe that it's fine. Woman, yeah, that is. yeah, man. Like, I mean, if they're just uncomfortable, then so what? You know, there's things that you trade off for the sake of comfort, like uh, belonging to a group, or for the sake of modesty, or maybe you feel safer or fancier in your burqa. I mean, I see guys walking around in 35 degree heat with very snazzy jackets on, yes, uh, and ties, and I'm like, man, in all those very good looking women who wear like heels like this in the middle of like a polo field like you know that's uncomfortable it's super uncomfortable and you're trading off you know you're trading discomfort for something else that matters to you but i mean the one 
No one caveats is that they're not forced to wear that. Or maybe oh, are they by the culture that we have, Mark? I think I think to let's say that they are influenced, and it doesn't always have to be through this explicit coercion and threats. Yeah. I mean, if they weren't wearing that, they would feel like really horrible and uncomfortable, like they weren't fitting in, or so on. And so, so there's a kind of co- there's an so influence. So there's a sort of a cultural influence, and you could argue the same for the burqa in. Afghanistan. Yeah, and these influences get internalized. It's yeah. not like, oh, I don't want to wear the book or I don't want to wear the high heels, but I have to because people will think such and such of me or whatever. It's sort of like, well, I think that of myself. Yeah. And I think ill of myself if I was um, wearing slip slops uh, to the masked ball or, yeah, or, shorts in, or shorts in public. Or shorts in public. We both have a hatred of shorts. Yeah, we. Do, I won't wear shorts in public. There are times when a, when a man, grown man, can wear shorts. Yeah. Um, well, there's two occasions that I know of. Okay, so I'm thinking like when he's on a yacht, because if you wear long pants, then uh, fair. Yeah, it gets the water gets logged in there and it becomes uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that you can wear shorts when you're at home and depressed and alone. I think that's fine as well. When no one can see you. Yes. Very important. And I also think it's okay to wear shorts when you're doing sport and exercising. Yeah, fair. Yeah, those are the situations I can think no, of. Okay, so, you, so you actually added, because I was saying if you garden, if you do gardening, for some reason you can't hire help. Okay, fine, you can wear shorts, I okay, suspect. Because squatting in jeans to pick up your tomatoes, not the best idea. Okay. On the beach... Oh, okay. If you I, w- I wouldn't on the go beach. to the beach. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't go to the beach. Anyway. I wouldn't go. I'm, I'm very pale. I'm a ginger. It's uh, and I've got very soft feet. You might not. I mean, you probably don't know this about me. I, They're I, very, very delicate. I've never felt them. So, well, I, I'm telling you. Okay. It, like, I believe you, Mark. Really, amazingly so. <laughs> They're like like satin, and when I walk on the beach sand, even fine beach sand, I find it very, very abrasive. After three or four steps. Like it's sloughed away so much skin that I'm just leaving a trail of bloody footprints behind me. It's very uncomfortable. It attracts sharks. <laughs> Maybe not on the beach. In the water, yes. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so, so gardening on the beach and alone at home when no one can see you. And you're depressed. Well, I think wearing shorts will make you inevitably depressed anyway. Um, but what do you think of people... Like I used to wear shorts... Um, I keep, you know. You well, know. I did also when I was a child. Yeah, and then yeah. I then I turned ten. Yes. And my dad said, "You're a man now. You wear pants." Yeah. Or trousers. Me too. I was like eight. You know, yeah. I started shaving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't that bad. But yeah, so what do you make of these people? Like, you see, like thirty-five-year-olds with with children, and they're wearing shorts, like in the middle of the mall. It's quite tragic. Like I'm an antinatalist for those people. See, this is a great thing. This is where it's sort of like you've got your standard. Let's call it an aesthetic, sartorial standard, and you're universalizing it. Absolutely. In their culture, totally fine. Not just fine, probably encouraged. And like they look at trousers and they call them, oh, look, those are long shorts. For them, the shorts <laughs> is the default standard. Or it's like the archetype. You, or like if you if you invited for a, a barbecue or a bri and you would just wear jeans and like a shirt over it and they say, Why are you dressed so well? I'm like, I'm not dressed well, this is how you dress. Yeah, and you're dressing down. Yeah, I'm dressing down. I'm not gonna wear like a billabong t shirt and a quick silver pair of shorts and slops. No, don't do that. No. Yeah. But people do. 
and I think it's fine. Cultural thing, man. Uh, so let's say, see, this is like a like a moral, sartorial, aesthetic law. But that's why I think I have far more in common with black South Africans because they, sartorially speaking, dress far better than their white white counterparts. Don't you think? Uh, often, it I depends. You, depends. You, you and Rosebank often, even when they do wear shorts, they fit a lot better than like the white people's shorts. So I've I've got a, I've got a bit of a theory behind that. Also unfounded is idle speculation, and it's because of racism. And the reason is this: because mm-hmm. we, uh, as white people, you and I, or people, because well, we, we present as white, half white. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, neither of us are completely white, sure. but you know, we present as white. Because of that, we've all, we've got this automatic status, like like white privilege thing. I don't want to don't, I don't want to get into that, so I'm not going to use the term white privilege. Okay, so we've got a status. So okay. we've we've got a um a little bit of status mm-hmm. um, that black people don't have, uh, for, uh you know just based on the skin color. Okay. So what they uh, so we can walk around in like like slops and shorts and whatever, and we still got that little bit of a status. But uh, black people, because they don't have that, because of racism in the history of the place, they got to put in additional um, signals to uh, to raise their status a little bit. You so know, so uh, assimilation to a higher degree than than not necessarily yeah. perhaps, but you have to. Okay, I sort of understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, wear wear like a nice jacket, like a good watch, dress it's, neatly, it's like just Mar- to show that you can fit into. It's the Martin Luther King argument. What did he argue? So he argued that we must... Basically, he's saying, don't think... We mustn't let the white man think that we're savages. Yeah. So we must culturally assimilate to the white man's culture, and we must do it better. So when we wear suits, they must be cut well, or they must fit us very well. We don't go there in saggy jeans and T-shirts mm. when we meet the white man. We must act like we're civilized. So he was a he he actually denounced and hated so-called black culture at the time. Like he hated jazz music. I love jazz. Like he thought black people should listen to classical music, mm. right? And they should dance. They mustn't dance in oh. the way that black people dance. They need to dance in a more um, rigid, you know, white man yeah, style yeah, yeah, dancing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he like tried, actually basically Martin Luther King was saying just culturally just destroy whatever you have and just assimilate to the white culture okay. which in my argument in my opinion was a far less interesting culture at the time mm. so oh, that, that's, that's, it sounds like exoticism from your part well if you read there's a guy there's a guy called Thaddeus Russell he yeah. has a podcast and he wrote a book called The Renegade History of the United States mm. like modern rock music was born from black jazz music you know in the late yeah. 1890s um, the culture was it's not, it's not exotic, it's exotic but there wasn't like a puritanical Calvinist work ethic around that culture it was a lot more in my opinion a lot more free okay and they didn't try to contain it too much along the scriptures of the bible or or otherwise so and in actual fact Thomas Sowell wrote a book where he showed that the black culture of America is actually culturally appropriated from white southern culture because slaves when they arrived their culture was 
died out. Yeah. The African culture died out completely. So they adopted the culture around them, mm-hmm. which was white Southern culture. So that white Southern culture was a lot more free and had a degree of flexibility far more than the Northern white culture. If that makes sense. It's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. But basically you're saying black people dress a lot better here because they want to fit in a lot more. Well, they've got to put more work, not fit in. They've got to, they've got to put a little bit more work in to, uh, to get social status because um, white people have got a little bit of automatic status. Really? I mean, I don't feel yeah, it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe like, it shows a lot like work. Like, I don't... I mean, I sort, of, I sort of understand what you mean. Yeah. Like, if, if I walk into a shop, people don't suspect me. No, they don't. Of being nefarious. So I heard this really cool uh, technique that this uh, thief, the shoplifter used, and okay. he was a white shoplifter. What he would do is he'd go into the shops, and the shops would often have those security tags on things that would beep when you left the shop. Right. And he would pick up an item, put it in his pants or his bag or whatever it is, and then he would wait before leaving the shop to make sure that he left at the same time that a black person was leaving the shop. Oh. And then the alarm would go off. And they'd and go to the black person. Of course, they would, consider, they would think that he was the shoplifter, the black person. But what is interesting is that the person who suspects the black shopper is like a black security guard. Maybe. Or the black, Probably. Ki- or the black cashier yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Well, so has it like been ingrained that much? Well, people share stereotypes, you know. Uh, like even though, you know, I don't think that it's like uh, the dressing thing isn't a case of a black person that like, oh, let us adopt the uh, the civilized uh, signals of the white man. No, yeah. there's a shared culture. There's a shared culture that we have. Sure. You know, in, and by shared, I don't mean like they're, oh, it's two cultures and they just happen to be like a bit of an overlap. No, it's like we belong in the same culture. And in that culture, we've got certain signals that show um, status and your role in the society and so on. And it's because we're part of the same culture. Yeah, because I think attachment to that class culture is actually quite strong. It's stronger than racial culture, if that makes sense. If you go to, yeah, if you go to somewhere, you know, Rosebank Mall, for example, where everyone is middle class. Black or white, it doesn't really matter. They all do fairly the same thing. They all eat at Woolworths. Yeah, we're in the... Or they have yeah, a coffee in, at whatever, father coffee and all. They oh, sort of... A lot of black people and white people not only are like sharing cultures, but also are living in the same community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is also that there are differences. There are people who are outside, that are in some community, but not in another community. Um, and even though they're geographically in the same space such as like a shopper and a security guard. Yes. Uh, partly because of the roles they're taking on, but also, you know, where they grow up and the languages they speak and um, and so yeah, on. Yeah, because I mean, part of your house, I'm like, if there was a, a tick list for diversity, like you would have it. I know you don't have a tick list for diversity yeah. parties at your house, but I mean, you know, everyone. Yeah, from all, from different communities. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. they live in your building or they live elsewhere and just, your parties are quite well known for having... Whenever I go, I know that I'll find someone interesting who I never would have met otherwise. Mm. But you don't have a tick list. You yeah. Just, no, there's, there's how do you do no it? tick list. How do you do it, Mark? Because we all want to be like you. I don't know, man. Like I, I meet people and I like them. And you, if I like you're them, actually quite trusting of people. 
I am quite trusting. I think trust is really important. Um, it takes a while for me to trust people. Even if it's foolish. In what way? So I think that, <laughs> so let's say like we're both married and we both trust our, our spouses. And yeah. I think it's really important for the sake of our relationship. Oh, yeah. Even sure. if rationally you know that there is, let's say, um, a 3% chance that in the course of your, your marriage they're going to cheat, uh, cheat on you. Yeah. You can't operate on that. You have to just give like 100% trust because when there's that suspicion and that doubt and then you're acting on it and like uh, reading their emails or whatever it is, I mean, that's just going to create uh, a bad relationship. Yeah, that uh, actually creates the tension that is the breakup. Yeah. This is it the anticipation of that 3% happening? Um, it, it doesn't even have to be, it could be the knowledge that there's a 3% happening. You yeah, still have the trust. without it actually happening. Yeah. But the doubtfulness creates the tension. Yeah, you've got to like surrender and give that trust. And that I think, makes sense. And I think also with with people. Uh, I mean, obviously I don't trust everyone I meet. Sometimes no. I get like a, like a weird feeling or they seem a little dodgy. And, oftentimes, and sometimes I get that feeling and then I'm mistaken about it. Like as I get to know them, I'm like, oh, no, this is actually a good person and, and whatever. Um, and then I revise my view. But generally speaking, yeah, I think that you you got to put a little bit of something on the line um, and trust them and genuinely trust. Uh, otherwise, if there's you know suspicion and distrust, then you're not going to have good relationships with people or with the world. Yeah, I actually, I actually take quite a while to trust people, but I found that once I don't know, I don't have a shit test by any means. Like I don't expect people to be of this sort of standard. Yeah, but once we're friends, like we're friends, like I don't, I've been friends with the same people for, for like more than a decade, and I get new ones and they add it in, but it, it I don't trust people very quickly. Like yeah. before, you come to my house, I need to have known you, or or, or, or you know, have spoken to you more than twice. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more trusting than than that, or just like a bit more open with my home. Um, and I mean, of course, I don't have like absolute trust to somebody I've just met, you know, like mm. I'm not going to, I don't know, like just like lend them a huge sum of money. But don't you like find that? that it's weird that you can trust people that you meet, but you, we are m- more trustworthy people. Like, I've never been on Tinder by any means. Me neither. But I, th- oh, but yeah. people are like, oh, let's go out and let's go to my house afterwards. Like you just met the person like on Tinder. But we're scared, been, right? But we trust them. Well, they the people on Tinder appear to trust those people on Tinder more than if some random person in the bar said, "Hey, buy me a drink, then we'll go to your house." That seems more suspicious than going through. Well, an I think app. That, I think through the app there probably are little tests. You can see who mutual friends are, and you can check the Facebook profile or whatever. But I like that we live in a kind of trusting society. Um, the fact that you, I can give you a plastic a piece of plastic, and you can swipe that, and then magically. Like something happens, and then you have money in your account that was in my account. Mm. Like that is a huge. I can explain. That's a very high trust society. It is. Like before, you'll need to prove that you have X, Y, and Z so that I can buy something. No, I just you just swipe, and then yeah, the assumptions are just made. The there trust insurances, and it's also something we're really used to. So it's also like the introduction of new technology. Something people are very untrustworthy about. You know, they're like, oh, no, I don't know exactly what this is. It's dangerous. Let's try and regulate it. And I think that's a big problem, like with drones. Yeah. 
Like I think, yeah, yeah, 25 years from now, you're going to look in the sky and you're going to see drones flying everywhere. And I think the country that doesn't like regulate them heavily in the beginning is going to be on the forefront. Yeah, or a bit like cryptocurrencies, I think. Yeah, eventually doesn't bother with them. mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're afraid of it or regulated. We don't know what this is. Event because eventually you go, they're going to have to adapt. Yeah, you're going to have to those initial regulations you put up. You're going to have to get rid of them. No, I mean I do it all the time on 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 uh, what do you call it online websites like I vape yes I do vape and I buy like vaping stuff from all over the world and I just like deposit money into like the strangers account I never met them in my life I don't know what their name is and then two three years later there's a knock on my door and there's my stuff hmm. that's amazing it is not just in terms of of mechanism but as a sense of trust like a society that accepts that will happen people I think people really underestimate how powerful that is. Yeah. I've, I've actually got one of the few flats in my building that don't have burglar bars in the windows and I've never had a problem. Well, except for errant neighbors who play uh, badminton and hop on six in the morning. Oh, that's, that's insane. But burglar bars aren't going to stop that. Double glazing, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah, no, I think... And, that's, and that goes back to that, that primitivism that we both dislike. How can you trust someone if you... If there's like no resources around you to trade with or there's no that's why people who live in our state communities don't get as wealthy as those in concentrated communities because there's far more transactions happening and far more value being drawn out from people the more people there yeah. are so here's another idle area. speculation yeah. uh, i think there's a lot more trust because of globalization which makes uh, because there's now a lot more reasons to think that we belong to the same community because we start sharing our tastes in movies and clothes and ways of speaking and liking because of globalization. Um, so oh, because true. of those cultural markers and ways of interacting, we say, hold on, that person over there is in the same community as I am. Yeah. And so we can have, like, more trust. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I can, in my line of work, I can send an email to someone in Australia and say, oh, you're owed this amount of money from the work that I do. Mm. And like, okay, here's my banking details. And then... I send those to the bank and they get like a million rand just gets deposited to their account and it's ordinary behavior. And it's not completely because it's a safety net because if something went wrong, you wonder like how easy would it be for me to rectify this situation? And not always that easy. Yeah. Well, yeah. When ho- well, talking about the globalization, when Hollywood can make a movie that appeals to half the world, like a Marvel movie, they make like billions of dollars in revenue through just people with superpowers and and everyone from japan to china to india to south africa to sudan to north america and mexico all agree that it's a great movie and they go watch it yeah i think it's wonderful i think like we we all enjoy it and or is it deadening culture or is it creating a new formalized not formalized but a more more universal culture Uh, you know what i think like things are becoming very like richer culture is becoming a lot richer (laughs) for for individuals so I think to a large degree it's adding to the richness of our culture, not necessarily replacing things, which would be to get rid of this and then replace it with that. So it doesn't have to be getting rid of. It can just be adding and adding richness to the world culturally. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Our previous guest, Simon, who's a friend of yours as well, like he says, no, this is just deadening of culture. It's replacing culture with, you know, crass capitalism. Oh, he, he's the Marxist. Mm. They're very pessimistic. <laughs> They are, eh? They really are. I often wonder why. 
because uh, they've been through a lot. <laughs> I think it's utopian thinking generally makes you pessimistic because I think Marxism is utopian, really yeah. utopian. And I think once you sort of realize the obstacles to get to a utopia or that it is a utopia at all, I mean, that's when you, I mean, if you invest uh, years and decades into your, your ideology and you can, you know for a fact that you can never get there or that the enemy is too strong, you know, the evil capitalists are just far too strong. So the thing is frustration. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, imagine you had a utopia and that you, you know, or you had a, an ideology that you knew could never, ha- you know, ever come into existence. Or even one which I think could come into existence. I'm kind of satisfied with how things are. Like, I definitely don't think they're perfect and there's room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm accepting of it. Hmm. Like, even like, the, you know, the corruption in government irritating me, but, you know, I'm accepting of it. And yeah, I think it's worth it. It's it's worth it. It's worth it. It's it's worth it's worth having coalition governments. Like it's yeah. worth like five hundred billion rand in corruption to me. I think so. Mm. I think if you if you just limit the 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 power of the state through coalition governments, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it if people like steal five hundred billion rand. Yeah, even though they, I mean, they're cheating and it's not nice to see. I expect and you, you from despise them. them. I'm a cynic. But you accept I, it. I, ex- I ex- accept it and I expect it as well. Yeah. So, so what do we deduce? Corruption's good, <laughs> relatively speaking. Okay. <laughs> and we live in a great world because we are sharing a more globalized culture. Well, I'm, I'm quite happy with it. And so am I. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you coming on. Roman, it's been an absolute delight. You're a delight. Nobody's ever told you that before. No. <laughs> <laughs>